This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news for the week of November 2nd, 2019. Course company name changes. We're still confused. Do you smell what the rock is distilling? Baby steps, Utah. Baby steps. Injured Nationals fan becomes an ad legend. All this and more on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I got really confused because we've not done... The news, news in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I was when, like, that when, just stopped. When <laughs> the music comes out, I was taking a big drink and I was like, oh, wait, what? Oh, crap. But nope, I'm Christopher did the Walker. same thing. <laughs> I was ready. He was born, born ready. ready. Okay. All right. Uh, since we're all ready already, let's go ahead and dive into our first story. Kind of a big one. Uh, Molson Coors has announced that they are restructuring their entire business, cutting the workforce, and changing their name. Not that we were all already confused about what the hell to call it. Because sure. <laughs> because Bob seemed, Miller, Mosin. Every other market, it has a different, they have a different name and it's so confusing. But Molson mm. Coors today announced a sweeping restructuring and revitalization plan amid a reinvesting of $150 million annually in its core products, above premium offerings, new innovations, and beyond beer space and digital capabilities. In order to achieve the savings, Molson Coors is consolidating its business units and office footprint and slashing its off or workforce. Other business is at an inflection point, or our business. Uh, we can continue down the path we've been on for several years now, or we can make a significant and difficult change necessary to get back on the right track, Molson Coors President CEO. Gavin Hattersley said in a press release, our revitalization plan is designed to streamline the company, move faster, and free up resources to invest our brands and our capabilities. Through it, we will create a brighter future for Molson Coors. Uh, the moves were announced prior to the company's third quarter earnings call. Hmm. What's, what's that uh, a phrase they, they use in the first season of Silicon Valley for like every ad, uh, every app pitch meeting? Um, oh, making the world a better place. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That skin just sort of feels like that. Yeah, it does. Uh, effective January 2020, Molson Coors <sighs> will uh, consolidate its corporate center and four business units: uh, Miller Coors in the U.S., Molson Coors Canada, Molson Coors Europe, and Molson Coors International. So that's where a lot of confusion comes from, is because only in the U.S. is it Miller Coors. Everywhere else, it's Molson Coors. Uh, but they're going to consolidate into two business units. North America and Europe. That okay. makes more sense. Molson Coors uh, will also change its name to the Molson Coors Beverage Company in 2020 to reflect the company's strategic intent to cut in and start making hard seltzers. Well, it, it's not what the story says, but that's just, I, I promise you, that's what they're doing. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes more sense, too. It's just being more inclusive as far as uh, they, they products are it, concerned. They word it as expand beyond beer and into other growth agencies i i now think that uh, our our friend uh hot beverages should uh file for some sort of llc the hot beverage <laughs> business company just to make sure someone else doesn't try to like starbucks tries to come in and take that 
I mean, think of how much you'd get paid if they tried. Ooh, yeah. So the Miller Coors name, which the company adopted following the 2008 joint venture between Saab Miller and Molson Coors, will be retired. As part of the plan, Molson Coors Chicago office will become its North American headquarters, and the company will close its office in Denver, where the company started. Wow. It's a sad day in Beerville. Uh, the company will also move its functional support roles, such as finance, IT, procurement, supply chain, legal, and human resources, to its offices in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I mean, also a pretty famous beer city. Yes, very much so. They're going to make it. Uh, Molson Coors said it expects a cut between 400 and 500 jobs in North America and from its international business unit. The company began making personnel changes on October 28th, and the reorganization is expected to be complete by January 1st, 2020. The layoffs come uh, a little more than a year after Miller Coors announced it would eliminate 350 salaried positions by the end of October 2018. Just cutting, cutting real deep. Getting close to a thousand jobs in the last, well, it's been a year. So, mm. uh, those moves could cost the company as much as one hundred and eighty million dollars cash and non-cash restructuring charges for employee relocation, severance, retention, and transition costs and lease exit costs in Denver. Uh, those costs will be spread through the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one fiscal years. Meanwhile, Hatterley, uh, Hatterley's new leadership structure will take hold on November 1st. The new leadership, I'm not reading that giant list of people becoming things that no one cares about. No. But, but under the do... Yeah, go ahead. I was say, under the new structure, Molson Coors will no longer have a president of its U.S. business. In a note to wholesalers this morning, Hatterley wrote that a significant portion of his job moving forward will be dedicated to ensuring our success in the U.S. market. Hmm. <sighs> I mean, I feel like this is just a harsh deal for Denver. Yeah, when it's like they made Denver, you know, kind of what it is when it comes to beer. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, like, I get you got to cut back every so often, kind of try to get lean and mean again, but. Start making more hard seltzers. <laughs> I'm just going to say, like, it's it's a lot of jobs that are going to be. Yeah. I, well, and the Denver thing is just so weird. I mean, they've got the whole, um, the thing with the mountains on the, you know, that's, yeah. that came from. It has there. been like, part of the company identity since day yeah. one. Yeah. And now, so it's, they're moving the offices and the company headquarters out of Denver, but their main, like one of their main production facilities, which is in Denver, will remain in Denver. Mm. And one of the things they don't mention in this article that I read in others is that uh, because they keep throwing around that, you know, $150 million or whatever to come to do this. And part of that is they're going to uh, modernize a lot of their brewing processes. So they're going to be, you know, putting redoing whole breweries and all this stuff and new equipment and try to streamline some things and it's probably gonna that's gonna cost some jobs who is it the bruise with uh miller uh, with uh molson cores in the u.s pabst pabst oh, okay. oh yeah pabst brews or pabst gets a bunch of their stuff brewed by them because there was the big lawsuit to get them to keep brewing it and then pabst and new holland have a distribution thing so it's like you can kind of work new holland into this through that avenue because i'm sure that like Paps distribution comes into Molson Coors' distribution, which 
I was yeah. gonna say this is also probably the why they were saying like, oh, we can't afford to to keep brewing their stuff. We're trying to to streamline down and yeah. So this is, I guess, evidence of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Um, let's move on to something completely different. There's no. There's there's no segue. <laughs> that that was just a sad sad story. Just, you know, let's let's go over something a little happier. Let's get the. Uh, the people's, the new, uh, it's what the people are craving. It they is. Drop some sort of tequila elbow on them. <laughs> yeah, no, The Rock is uh, unveiling his new tequila, um, which he is calling the tequila of the people, which why it's not the people's tequila, only Vince McMahon knows. I was going to say, it's probably some weird WWE trademark yeah. crap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Dwayne The Rock Johnson has never been shy of his love for tequila, and now he's planning on sharing it the world with his own version. Let's see. He unveiled the new name of the tequila that will be hitting shelves soon. Uh, the name, by the way, is uh, Terramana. Or Terramana? No idea. T-E-R-E-M-A-N-A. Sure. Uh, but he says uh, he went on Instagram or some social media thing to say... Uh, that uh, Terramana Tequila, Terra means, uh, is meant to represent Terra, which means of the earth, and Mana is a powerful Polynesian spirit that guides us. Hmm. Uh, and with his announcement, he shared a photo of himself and the crew outside a distillery in Mexico. He holds a glass of the tequila while wearing matching shirts with his team. Uh, <laughs> and he is so much larger than everyone else in I, that picture. Well, I'm yes. Sure. <laughs> like, like one a head taller and then like four foot broader <laughs> than everyone else combined in the picture. The shoulders uh, on that man. But yeah, uh, they says his goal is uh, our goal is to create a tequila that is the best of quality and taste, but done the right way by hand. Small batch handcrafted tequila from our Terramana Blue Agave maturing in the highlands of Jalisco for everyone to enjoy. Uh, 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 chat uh, for a Viking saying Mexicans are usually on the shorter side uh, compared to a gigantic Polynesian man uh, yeah it, it's hard to tell from the picture everyone's ethnicity in this though because I don't I don't know everyone in uh, the picture is very small look uh, you've never met them personally you don't know their DNA <laughs> we're getting to there later hold on hold your horses <laughs> Uh, but yeah after years of hard work uh, this blessing is truly a dream come true but it's just the beginning and there's much work to be done he's committed with his team to bring you the best tequila because quality and legacy are what matter most and then is there a Brahma uh, bowl on the bottle there better be um I don't I don't have an image of the bottle here is now very crappy tattoo so we all remember it from the 90s the the Brahma bowl on (laughs) Yeah. Dwayne Johnson's arm. It was amazing. And now when you see it, like whenever it's not makeuped over or CGI'd out, it just looks faded and sad because he's never <laughs> bothered to have it updated. I'm like, he's just waiting to have an excuse to have that thing covered. Yeah. Did we already talk about Jason Momoa's water stuff? Water? Yeah. So it just actually just launched. We talked about his Guinness. Oh, yeah. No. Um, this relates to the the rock did, thing. Did they, did they take it from his gills? <laughs> Right, uh, but no, he he literally created the, a, a company 
um for and it's just it's not seltzer water it's literally just water but it's in a can and he's he's joining the mission of like getting rid of plastic bottles basically oh, okay. and that's why he did that and that's he they're like he also shaved his beard after seven years to bring recognition to the whole like plastic bottle movement to like bring attention to stuff basically but uh yeah you can get like a ba- big 12 pack of it um the, the logo is cool and everything but yeah it, he just water just that, water that's great and all but celebrity things celebrity endorsed things that i still want i still want hugh jackman's coffee oh yeah man yeah yeah yeah. wow speaking of things that aren't beer uh let's move on to some utah news (laughs) let's let's talk about beer in utah it's not beer (laughs) until maybe now and then it's still barely it it's barely there yes utah they don't have to water down the bud light there anymore utah is set to tap out on local low alcohol beer sales so, the first change to beer alcohol limits since the end of Prohibition nearly a century ago is coming to Utah. The state will become the next to last in the country to say goodbye to lower alcohol 3.2% beer on Friday. And let's just say that uh, Epic is probably jumping around having a gigantic party on how they're going to expand <laughs> right. their original location, brewery, mm-hmm. and all that, and they can't have an actual tap room. Because Utah is so stupid. Like I said, Uinta will be pleased, I'm sure. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Uinta, I think, is doing quite well, even with things they're doing the way fine. they are. Their way around it, though, is they don't put it on draft. They just bring you a bottle, pop they're, it open, yeah, and go, here you go. They're very smart at the tap room. I just took it from the bottling line. Go. <laughs> uh, so lawmakers have raised the limits to a still low 4% by weight, yielding as large breweries decided, uh, as lar- yes, decided to stop making lower alcohol suds for a market that's shrinking amid changing laws. The change leaves Minnesota as the last state to have 3.2% beer. Almost the entire country once had similar limits. Um, this was obviously in the dark times of Prohibition. Hmm. <laughs> uh, still, most states used it as a guide as they made their own laws. That started, that started to change in the 1980s with the beginnings of the craft beer movement and gained steam after the year 2000. The last few dominoes fell with Oklahoma, Colorado, and Kansas making the switch in recent years. Um, of course, uh, it talks about the issues in Minnesota. Uh, in Utah, the state's predominant religious faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, teaches abstinence from alcohol and strict liquor laws continue to hold sway. They also teach uh, complete sexual abstinence, too. And then what was it uh, on... TMS Scott was talking about the kids do at oh, uh, yeah. at the college. They all go away. They like leave the state on a camping trip and like dry hump or something. Or like it's the most ridiculous it had a term. thing. I don't remember what the term is. It was like it, basically they could go and do everything but actual like vaginal intercourse, and it's they were all still completely virgins. And it's like I don't think it works that way. Yeah. But it had to be out of state and like under these specific guidelines, and they're like, "Oh, and we're all still virgins." It's like, no, it's, it's, not. it's a. There's a line from uh, West Wing where they 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 get a sex ed report that they have that they're trying to see if they need to give out, and they go like, well, "You know how like they're only one ab- you know abstinence only?" Like, yeah, well, this is everything but. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um. Yeah. So uh, that basically that has a big part in the whole utah thing um it said last or this year 
Big retailers like Walmart and others pushed for changes so they could keep their stores stocked with national beer brands. The new 4% limit also measured as 5% by volume. That's important to keep in mind. It's not 4% ABV. We talked about this before. Mm-hmm. It's 4% um, by, by weight. weight. So it's 5% ABV. Um, so, you know, basically the standard beer that you're going to get. Um, yeah. You can get a beer-ass beer there and not, uh, yeah. not have it be watered down. It's not going to... Well... It'll, so if we ever go back up there, if there's never ever another nerdtacular, we won't be shuffling around from you know brewery to brewery trying to find something that's above like four percent. Right. Just crying the whole time, being like, "Why is this stout so watery?" Yeah. Um, and the un- interesting thing is, it says uh, with some brands moving to private stores, Utah rules mean state-owned outlets may have to dump any 3.2% beer that isn't sold by midnight Thursday since the law. Just past Thursday effect. then. Yeah. So uh, customers have been snapping up those beers at bargain prices or gazing at empty shelves ready for new stock. Um, the yeah. <laughs> streets will run red with <laughs> beer. With with sad beer. Uh, it says, uh, the makers of national beers like Budweiser are marking the occasion with new marketing efforts in the state, of course. The iconic Budweiser Clydesdales were in Salt Lake City this week to mark the occasion with a mock funeral, complete with life-sized coffin and costumed Grim Reaper pallbearers walking the streets to cheers. Wow. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a solemn day. They have to... I mean, I kind of get it. Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's fair. There's a, there's a cold open to an episode of Cheers where it's like that, where the keg, is, <laughs> the keg dies and they, they all walk off and sing, you know, sing taps to it. <laughs> put it in a new one. They go like, the keg is dead. Long live the keg. <laughs> and I'm just like, God, that show is so good. Well, I guess uh, speaking of beer that's close to water. I'm sure by now everyone's heard of this story. Uh, the new the new beer hero and icon. The the man who took a home run ball at the World Series to the chest to not drop his double fisting two beers. His two buds. <laughs> his two Bud Lights. That I, I, I don't know if the, this article tells you, but I read somewhere else. They were like, no, it was like $30 worth of beer. So, well, yeah, because he's at a game. you know, Because <laughs> at the World Series, so it's a ridiculous charge to get tall boys. But also, how much can you sell a World Series ball for? Well, uh, forget the ball. D.C. resident Jeff Adams heard Bud Light was looking for him. Just hours earlier at Game 5 of the World Series, he held on to two tall cans of beer as a home run ball smacked him in the chest. Uh, the moment Sunday night was caught on live TV and went viral, but it took a while for Adams, uh, who's not on social media. He's he's the only one. He's the one. He's the person that you've heard of that doesn't have any social media. That's him. Mm-hmm. Even the Amish people have social media. Uh, to find out, eventually, is- someone told him. Sorry, on- I'm just picturing now, like, what does the Twitter say, Jedediah? <laughs> yeah. On Monday morning, Adams called a Bud Light call center and on the ball, customer service representative took down his phone number. Uh, by the following night, Adams w- was an internet hero, and Bud Light was sending him to Houston to see his beloved Washington Nationals win the World Series. Imagine if they had lost. <laughs> yeah. Bud Light. They sent him there like, no, 
will make you watch. <laughs> Bud Light gave News 4, where we're sourcing this one, a behind-the-scenes look at how they found the beer guy and made him the star of a nationally televised ad within 48 hours. When they sent him back, he was sent back with a shirt that had him on it, like with the ball hitting him. And at that game, they were then airing a new ad campaign of him getting hit with the ball. Uh, marketing experts say the beer guy moment is worth an estimated $8 million in exposure for the brand and that we can expect to see more ads that seize on what they call viral events. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I actually hadn't seen the video. They've got it here in the... Oh, yeah. It's, in the court. It's you, like, can, oh. you can see, yeah, it hurt. Yeah, they, there, there's a definite, oh, like, he he takes that ball like a champ. Like, Oh yeah, but if, but if anyone was gonna turn something into a marketing, uh, marketing plan, yeah, yeah, and do it that quickly, yeah, okay, it's so, ABM. So we have a full timeline of how this how this played out. So it's f- within forty eight hours they had an ad running. So uh, he's at eight thirty p.m. approximately. He takes the hit at eight fifty three. Bud Light tweets about the hit. So three minutes, or no, three minutes. Uh, 23 minutes. 23 minutes. Uh, tweets about the hero and asks for help finding him. By 9.53 p.m., Bud Light finalizes a t-shirt showing the beer guy. So the, somewhere in those first 20 minutes, they went, I need a tweet now, followed by them going, get to work on a mock-up on that shirt. I yeah. wanted him to hear like within the hour. Within it's a an, very newsroom-esque Within kind of an situation. hour and 23 minutes of him taking the hit to the chest, they are finalizing a t-shirt. I want photos of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it has the words, always save the beers. Uh, Monday morning, <laughs> 13 hours uh, after the event, the beer guy himself, Jeff Adams of DC, calls Bud Light customer service. 8.36, we're at... 24 hours and 6 minutes from taking the hit. Bud Light announces that Adams is going to Game 6 wearing his new t-shirt. At Game 6, at 8.30pm approximately, an ad showing Adams' famous moment airs during Game 6. So at almost the exact time at the previous game that he took the ball to the chest, the new ad aired. I mean, that... that Good job. Like I don't know. It's like one of those things like, I don't know what else to say. Well done. Mm-hmm. That's so. Yeah, that is. That's great. That's almost like the the. That's the internet. That's how that. That's how this works now. <laughs> that's the beer ad version of the South Park Forty Eight Hours to Air. <laughs> that yeah. too. Yeah, I see. Uh, uh, Jim and I were on the same page. I was thinking of the show, the newsroom, like the, that oh, first yeah. scene. I, I figured like, what you said. Yeah. I told them in chat. I can't give a rousing speech about ABM Bev. <laughs> Sorry. Oh yeah, no. I don't know. Could you? Could you give the the opening? The opening speech from the pilot. That, end, that, that ends in rousing. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, <sighs> give me some time. You guys continue talking. I'm gonna be, you, you really don't I'm have to be like substituting the entire speech for. I mean, that, that that's pretty much the story. I don't know where else you want to go with it. They're, they have, you can get the shirts and it, it's the thing. I'm sure this dude is now going to be a spokesperson. He's going to be making, I, I, that's what I want to know is how much money he made. Hmm. From doing this, he probably paid a decent penny for his likeness. He's going to get his fifteen minutes, yeah, and then uh, and he got free tickets. I was going to say, if nothing else, he game. got to go to the you know, he's good on the on the game. Yeah, so. 
I like to imagine they probably also paid for travel, but yeah, yeah. And better believe he probably had, you know, they paid for him to go. No, they just gave up one of their box seats hmm. because I guarantee you, ABM Bev had just purchased an entire box of seats that they were going to be giving to people to, you know, like distributors to smooth them over. And then they're like, hey, let's give a couple seats to this dude. I just yeah. keep thinking, like, imagine the bruise on his chest. Oh, yeah. Like, like he's lucky. That just, it, oh, depending on who it is. Depending on who had hit that ball, it could have been broken ribs. Could have, depending on how many steroids that man was on. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. it's like, oh, if that had been, if that had been King Griffey Jr., like, no, there would have been, it would have just like gone through him. It'd have been like a hollow point. I was gonna say, if it was uh, uh, Mark McGuire back in the day, he's just, he just explodes. The ball would have just had steroids in it. One of those little like crater kind of situations. When you watch it in slow motion, I'm sure on ESPN, you can hear the, like, (laughs) ribs. Well, you know where you won't hear that? Where? At a new museum. A whiskey museum. I mean, what kind? Depends on the museum. You might might hear some bones breaking if someone's crossing some velvet ropes. This one's about cocktails. Oh, okay. I mean, you still might hear some bones breaking. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so one of the most famous whiskey cocktails now has its own museum. I was confused by our title. I was like, oh, have they decided to make, like, has, well, I'll let you go on. <laughs> I, like, to the whiskey. Going? I thought the whiskey was getting its own oh, museum. Oh, yeah, that's, it is Which confusing. I was actually excited about, but, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, the newly opened Sazerac House in the heart of New Orleans, where the name saying drink originated. Uh, Sounds like a really fun uh, frat house. See, I think uh, <laughs> Furry Viking in the chat was on board with me, like, oh, and then you hear, you're like, oh. Yeah, I was like, can we just, why doesn't Kentucky have a just a one big giant bourbon museum? The, we do, actually, the Heaven Hill experience. Well, no, that's at Heaven Hill. Like, I, But I, that's. Anyway. Uh, so on October 2nd, <laughs> Sazerac opened the Interactive Museum and Spirits Production Facility, shining a light on New Orleans' massive, in- massively influential cocktail culture and producing the Sazerac's cocktail two most important ingredients, rye whiskey and Peshaw. Is it Peshaw's? Is that how you say it? Peshaw's bitters? Hey, childs. Yeah. Uh, Casey's not here to correct us, so we're just going to roll. We're going to roll. We're going to roll with Hey, childs. Located on Palm Tree Lined Canal Street, just across from the French Quarter, Sazerac House sits just a few hundred yards from the original Sazerac Coffee House, where the Sazerac cocktail was served in the 19th century. The five-story building features three floors of interactive exhibits across 48,000 square feet that plunge guests into the area uh, as it was in the 1800s. Different aspects of cocktail culture are up for exploration, from contemporary mixology aided by virtual bartenders. Um, visitors can explore cocktail recipes based on favorite flavors and spirits. Uh, also, to the roots of Peshad's Bitters and the Sazerac family. Can I, can I say, I feel like, like, oh, there's a moment where you're like, you, you get to be plunged into the 1800s. I was like, oh, that sounds intra. Oh, slavery. I was <laughs> I was say, not say, New Orleans, not, anyone... not the best. Anyone familiar with history, when someone talks about going back, you're like, no, no, no. You you never want to know. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Um, so the self-guided tour wraps up at the on-site distillery on the museum's first floor, where visitors can 
get an up-close look at the 500-gallon still producing rye. Mm. Uh, the first time that whiskey has been legally distilled in the city's central business dr- district, according to Sazerac Company. Uh, a uh, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So, that's interesting uh, as it stands. Um, and this is all from Whiskey Advocate, by the way. So... Uh, and they've also got amazing pictures of the place. Like, that looks freaking awesome. Um, so, another interesting note for those of us who are, you know, in this region right now. <laughs> so, the uh, distillery's four 1,000-gallon cookers will allow it to produce around a, around a barrel of whiskey a day. Hmm. Uh, that liquid, however, won't mature in Louisiana. It will be shipped... Buffalo Trace Distillery in Kentucky for aging before it's sent back to New Orleans for bottling. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but still. I mean, yay, Kentucky. And then we didn't have the story here, but that just reminds me. It's like, oh, it's another of those great things Buffalo Distillery, Buffalo Trace Distillery will do that will never, no one will ever get to try. It's like the new OFC that's going to come out that's like 25 years. Mm. Like that's a 25-year vintage. And it's they're like, oh, the OFCs, they're like the highest rated bourbon in the world, period. And then it's like, oh, yeah, guess what? They only ever sell them to charities who then auction them off for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Same thing. It also mentions about the rye, the aged barrels of rye going to be in Kentucky and then ship to Louisiana. So uh, same deal. It said uh, the bulk of Sazerac rye will continue to be made at Buffalo Trace. Um now, the producing the bitters is a less complex operation. Um, so, uh, again, that, the Peshad. I'm going to say Peshad. I think uh, I feel d- like d- that sounds correct. Furry Viking in the chat said you were correct. Okay, he, okay. he apparently <laughs> did not approve of my <laughs> Peshads. Fair. Um, Guess so, what? Main episode's Italian. Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. It is not going to be good, you guys. If uh, uh, you were not a fan, the episode the last will be one. good. The, the, episode, the, the, the pronunciation, the butchering of another language, <laughs> our butchering of the French language in the last one uh, versus our butchering of Italian. So, yeah. buongiorno. <laughs> God. Uh, anyway, <laughs> says uh, the same thing uh, to go with the bitters, and I was a little surprised about that because I'm like, oh, I didn't know the bitters were done here as well. Because mm-hmm. says the bitters are then bottled on site. But the bulk of Peshad's production will continue to take place at Buffalo Trace in Kentucky. So they got a whole yay? facility for it. There's no reason to waste time making it. I know. It just it sounds odd. Um, I think the reason you want to have it there though is that you know you're at the museum, and that way they can take take tours into that as well and say, yeah. "Hey, and this is how the process goes. Right. And this right. is how it's made." And they have someone speak softly and gently while many moving parts move in a hypnotic pattern, and you know, seven hours go by while you're sitting in your couch watching TV. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Are we talking about how it's made? Yes. <laughs> because I can't tell you that that was college i would get out of class i would watch king of the hill and how it's made and it takes a thief and then i'd be like yeah. wait what, what what time is it holy crap that's about right yeah i would come home and there'd be like the science channel uh a while back and they had it was just mythbusters and how it's made and i went you guys are doing the lord's work here on this tv channel <laughs> that's why i always wanted the science channel and was so happy i never had it because i was like i would never do anything i would just be glued to <laughs> the this. least productive person on the face of the earth um okay so last thing honestly sazerac house it says is open wednesday through saturday from 1 p.m to 6 p.m through the end of november so keep that it's in mind if temporary. you're interested 
uh, with plans to expand the hours thereafter. It says mm. complimentary tickets are available on its website. Stazerac House. <laughs> wow, that'd be one hell of a a great fraternity to join. Sazerac See? House. Oh man. Uh, so you just live in like one of the old uh, mansions on Buffalo Trace property. Is that how that would work? I mean, imagine the smell every day. Imagine. <laughs> well, imagine a time when Founders is not in trouble. It wasn't I, that long ago. I don't even know now. I really don't. Uh, well, it's today, maybe, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. There's some residual anger, but... Their legal trouble is over. For now. Uh, <laughs> today. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Founders Brewing and Tracy Evans have reached a settlement in the racial discrimination lawsuit. Chat, here we go. No, it's not going to be like the last episode. The last episode was a product of the fact that that's all there was going, like beer news last week. That's all it was. And everyone was just blowing up. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to do, we're going to put our, formulate our opinions and throw them out there, of which I'm a giant hypocrite. <laughs> Look, I, I will say that after they made good, I was like, you know, I was on the fence. I was like, I don't know if I want to get CBS this time around. Then the morning came, and I was like, I'm really struggling with this. And then the announcement was like, oh, no, they settled. It's all good. And I was like, well, you don't have to tell me twice. And I went and bought my four-pack. I, I knew they settled, and it still it took me some time to decide whether I would buy it or not. Oh, I was, Finan- I was standing fi- in the finances checkout. Finances had some issue with me not buying it. I was standing in the checkout holding it going, I don't have to commit to this. I can set it down <laughs> and be that asshole that put, you know, put something right there at the checkout and didn't buy it. Nope. So I still had plenty of other beer. Speaking of assholes, um, <laughs> Founders Brewing Company and its former uh, had reached the agreement with its former employee, uh, and they agreed to settle out of court, which is probably the best for everyone involved. Uh, terms of the settlement were not disclosed. The lawsuit has been dismissed, and according to a joint statement shared by the company's communications manager, not their uh, diversity manager, though, she peaced out. <laughs> what? Uh, Are the you, di- you're making that crap up, right? Uh, it's not in there, but the the, the diversity manager just oh. just left, like during the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> Sorry, was it just the fact that I kept reading it like it was? I kept saying it like I was reading. <laughs> no, no, the way you said it, it sounded sh- like a name. It, yeah, oh. she pieced out. I was like, wait, <laughs> what? No, <laughs> I was like, that's like the. <laughs> I heard she pieced out. She, like, okay. she, she pees uh, stout is what I heard. Yeah. And that's that's where I, when I was like, is this like Icy Wiener? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not that. Um, Although that right, is any- now what I've been ordered, like start tabs <laughs> under the name of She Pees Stout. <laughs> she Pees Stout. Uh, They're like, I'm well, sorry? Uh, in Evan's statement, he says, I want the world to know the, uh, the power we have when we step forward and make ourselves heard. Upon hearing us, businesses have also have the power to make changes or not. I don't know what happens from here within the doors of Founders Brewing Company. I do know this. We have a legal resolution, and we have all started looking at how all of this affects human lives. Uh, Evan's who is black filed a racial discrimination lawsuit against founders in 2018 
alleging the craft brewery toler uh, tolerated a racist internal corporate culture. The reason I'm laughing there, you should go back and listen to our previous episode where we did a quick reading from the transcript that got leaked. And that um, is, so founders finally broke their radio silence on social media on Friday to advertise CBS hitting shelves. And th at the time I saw it, one of the first replies on Twitter was, if you tell me what color this beer is, I will go out and purchase it right now. <sighs> well, uh, to which founders did not reply. They, yeah, wow. pre presumably. Uh, look, founders... they, they did several interviews about all that, and there's like, look, it was a dumb kid who was severely overcoached going into this, and yeah. he was sticking with what he was told to say, come hell or high water. I've, right. That was, he was not going to stray from <laughs> it in the least, and that they're like... There's a lot of pressure going on there. You and know. founders had, before the settlement was announced, they were going, they like they were coming out going, no, we were being told all this stuff to do by PR firms that were like in hindsight completely wrong and we should have fired them forever ago. Yeah. Well, uh, the co-founders, uh, Dave Engbers and Mike Steves wrote in their statement, they are pleased to settle this case and focus on the future, which I would, I would like for them to do. And also to, I don't know how they can ever prove that they've been, that there has been improvement there. Right. There will be no proving it. But, uh, to be say, during our last episode, there was, I have to correct myself here, because um, I was saying, hey, the employees are planning um, a demonstration from the Detroit Tap Room. It was not in protest. It, it was uh, in, like, basically to say, this is not Founders. Like, what you were seeing in the news is not Founders. Gotcha. They were set up, and like they were there to spread love, and they were like, this was employee organized, the company had nothing to do with it. And it, like they were out there saying, no, this is not our company, like what is being portrayed in the media. So that was me adding, you know, whatever I had seen to it. Okay. And that was not what was going on. The cynical side of me, though, is like, but were they all white? They said management was, <laughs> I, I, that I can't attest to. I do not know their DNA. Mm. But uh, management and uh, supervisory staff had nothing to do with the display. And they okay. were out handing out, you know, little, I don't know, little leaflets and things and just basically trying to spread love. Well, uh, yeah, the settlement comes nearly a week after founders announced plans to shutter the Detroit tap room as backlash against the company grew following a leak of the deposition of the case. Ingbers and Stevens, in a statement, uh, said they are currently evaluating the situ situation in hopes uh, to open the Detroit tap room as soon as possible. Another... Uh, Addendum to add to that, sorry, I'm, I'm taking this moment to correct myself from the last episode because it needs to be done. I mm -hmm. uh, also wanted to say that, uh, what was it, we said they would close the Detroit Tap Room even though there was no evidence of like any real reason to. And no, it has come out that yes, employees had been threatened and several patrons had been ejected and escorted out for threatening and trying to get physical with staff at the Detroit tap room over the incident. Mm. So there was just reason. All right. Well, um, I scrolled down too far and read the comments and now I'm sad. So let's, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that is to be said. Yeah. The, 
they're, this is an extremely hot issue. People are extremely opinionated. Everyone is allowed to have their opinion. And I will yeah. just say, you can be mad at me. I'm the world's most gigantic hypocrite. I, I hate AB and Bev, yet I'm one of those boys who lines up every Black Friday to go get my Bourbon County. And now we have this with Founders. I got CBS. I resisted from getting so many other things. But that's there's the comment going around, yeah, everyone's going to forget the boycott by the time uh, Espresso KBS drops next month. Anyway. Yeah. Right. Interesting so. addendum. Uh, thanks to Reddit, I learned where the term boycott came from. <laughs> hmm. There was an old, uh, I can't remember what century, landowner, and the surname was Boycott. And he tried to evict 11 families off of his land. And then everyone in the adjoined region decided they would not work for him no matter what. So they were pulling a boycott afterwards. So thus it was, yes, afterwards, pulling a boycott. And then from then later, it's just like, just boycotting. Okay. Well, you know what? You know what cheer me up? What would cheer you up? I need a barrel. I need another barrel. So what I'm supposed to have one, and I need a second one. Announcement from the Kentucky Distillers Association. Terrific news. Kentucky now has two barrels of bourbon aging and aging spirits for every person in the Commonwealth. Barrel inventory topped 9 million last year for the first time in modern era. Distillers also filled more than 2 million barrels for the first time since records were kept in 1967. Where can I get my two barrels now? Daddy's owed two barrels of whiskey. Daddy daddy wants his whiskey. So, uh, story from Vine Pair, Kentucky has certainly had a lot to celebrate this month and has plenty of booze to do so. On Wednesday, the Kentucky Distillers Association, the KDA, tweeted that Kentucky now has more barrels of bourbon and aging spirits than people. Hard to believe, especially with Kentucky's last census estimate uh, being at 4.5 million people living in the state. Last year, Kentucky's bourbon industry filled more than 2.1 million barrels of bourbon and aged 9.1 million barrels in total, making it the highest inventory since the KDA started keeping records 52 years ago. It also marks the first time since 1967 that Kentucky distillers have filled more than 2 million barrels of bourbon in one year. Oh, my God. That's that's so much. Uh, Quote, this is a historic day that cements Kentucky's rightful title as the one true and authentic home for bourbon and (laughs) distilled spirits. Suck it, rest of America. The president of the KDA, uh, Eric Gregory, told WKYT, Hey, I remember them. Uh, it's also further proof of Kentucky bourbon's monumental economic impact and ever-increasing demand. Hmm. Yeah. So, <sighs> well, let's end on a slightly silly note. Well, you say on a high <laughs> note or? On a mm. less sad note. <laughs> well, uh, German doctors figured out how to remove a bottle, uh, remove a uh, bottle from a child's tongue after uh, drinking too much wine. Sure, sure. All right. Well, uh, an old hack with a wine bottle. This is coming from NBC News, by the way. An old hack with a wine bottle and uh, without a corkscrew to open a wine bottle without a corkscrew served as inspiration for German doctors tasked with helping a seven-year-old boy whose tongue had become trapped in a glass bottle. Really? Because the only way... I don't know, I'm thinking beer bottles. You can use a stop sign. I've seen pickaxes used. 
Well, a report on the case from the doctors who treated the boy at Auf der Boot, Boot uh, Children's Hospital in Hanover, in Hanover Germany. Auf der Boot. Pu- Auf der Boot. Uh, anyway, it was uh, published in the European Journal of Anesthesiology. The boy had been drinking white grape juice from a bottle and, like any kid, tried his best to lick up every last drop by sticking his tongue as far as he could inside the bottle. It backfired. Mm. That's what she said. instead of being rewarded with an extra drop of juice the pressure caused the tongue to swell and get stuck in the bottle Uh, his parents weren't able to remove the bottle so they took him to the hospital fortunately his airways were not blocked so the physicians had time to come up with a plan they tried lubricating the area around the bottle and tongue uh, twisting and turning and pulling to no avail Usually in these situations, the doctors must cut, cut the bottom of the bottle off or drill holes into it to release pressure. Uh, but before they had to resort, resort to such measures, Dr. Christ, uh, Christoph Eich, uh, pediatric anesthesiologist the hospital, stepped in. It's the first time that Eich had encountered a case like this in his 25 years practicing medicine, but memory of a very different kind of sweet nectar in a glass bottle gave the doctor an aha moment. Well, two decades earlier, while he was still in medical training, Ike found himself in the unfortunate situation which a corked wine bottle needed to be opened, but there was no corkscrew. He took a thin, a bit of thin medical tubing, the kind doctors used to squirt sterile water onto wounds to clean them, and hooked, up, uh, hooked it up to an empty syringe. By threading the tube into the bottle and pumping the air, he was able to pop the cork. So, so getting thanks a differential to, pressure. Thanks to medical winos. <laughs> mm-hmm. The air becomes pressurized, and the only thing that can move is the cork. It's the same principle, I could told NBC News. Uh, the old party trick could be used to free the stories. Uh, he thought the, the party trick could be used to free the boy's tongue, and he was right. He managed to uh, thread a thin tube past the tongue and into the bottle. Look out, stomach, here it comes. <laughs> uh, after sixty mil, uh, about 60 milliliters of air, it was enough pressure in the bottle to squeeze the tongue out by a positive pressure technique. Uh, within two weeks, the tongue had returned to normal. So, yeah. Okay. That's still bleh, is my reaction. Bleh. Uh, now you're going to be looking at your child when you hand him bottles and just be like, don't put your tongue down in there. I only hand him beer bottles, so... I don't... <sighs> they have caps on them. Don't Don't judge me. <laughs> you were there. And you were laughing while taking the picture. I said, get a picture of this. I'm just going to sit here. Because <laughs> whenever I'm drinking a beer from a bottle, he's that's all he wants is that bottle. And I'm like, no, give it to him. <laughs> like, not let him take a drink, but let him hold it for the photo op. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> <sighs> I think that just about does it for today. So on that note. Okay, we'd like to remind everyone that this is our news-only show. But we also do the weekly long-form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink, please go to patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. <coughs> yes. And we will see you again uh, next weekend. At, or no, the weekend after that? <laughs> we'll yes. see you again. <laughs> Check out Twitch for the next live episode. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Fraser, And I'm Christopher Walker. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>